All eyes at the Jimmy V Classic were on the number two Texas Longhorns and MSG favorites, the Duke Blue Devils. But Illinois was actually the team that had our attention when it was all said and done. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, welcome into Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I am joined by our guy, Leif Tulin, one of the co-hosts of the Locked On NBA Big Boards Podcast. We want to thank you for making our show your first listener watch to help you get caught up on all of today's best college basketball information. So, uh, Leaf, on Tuesday night, we had the Jimmy V Games at MSG, a great event to honor uh, Jim Valvano and just look at people um, working through cancer. It was so great to have Dickie V there on the call. Um, just some neat synergy with all that going on. So, game one, we had Illinois over Texas in overtime. We're going to get there first. We'll also look at Duke and Iowa, and then a, a couple undefeateds got knocked off, and so we'll finish off with that today. So, Leaf, here's the biggest takeaway for me. The fight in the lion eye, Brad Underwood's team are better than I was giving them credit for coming into the season. They started 33rd at Ken Palm, all the way up now to number 12. They beat UCLA at the main event, lost to Virginia in a pretty competitive game in the final there, lost at Maryland. That's their only other loss this season. Against Texas, they came back from 10 down with eight minutes to go, forced overtime, and knocked them off. So, is it time, Leaf Tulane, to take seriously Brad Underwood's team as a top 10 in America? Yeah, absolutely. I. Uh, it, it's funny you ask this. I, every year I, I talk with one of my buddies. Uh, he's a Duke fan, so he definitely had some input about the, the later segment when I was telling him about I got to talk about Duke. Should I talk him up or down? And I was kind of <laughs> messing with him. But long story short, I, I told him before the season that I thought Illinois was the best team in the Big Ten. And then... Purdue came in uh, guns a-blazing and, and made a bold statement in, in winning the PK-85 and doing so in impressive fashion. Yeah. And obviously Indiana came in with the highest regard they've had in a long, long time. But I still feel confident Illinois is the best team in the Big Ten. And I actually wow. gained my confidence when they lost to Virginia. I thought that was the best basketball game in terms of quality of play, tactician, the way that's true to the way the teams play rather than, you know, up and down and just in like for an example of this would be the Carolina versus Alabama uh, quadruple overtime game. <laughs> that was not a pretty game by any means. Oh, yes, it was not. Overtimes. Yes, it was somewhat exciting, but it was almost bothersome watching four overtimes when it should have probably been over in regulation. In regulation, absolutely. Not probably, it should have been. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, so my, my takeaway is that they are for real. I would put them in my top seven list as of right now if everyone's healthy in contenders in the nation because I think they've got a very good defensive team and they have multiple players that can score. They're figuring out how to put those players in the position to succeed and score, Bingo. but they have multiple that can. And I always find that to be a successful recipe, a team that can be disruptive defensively and has the talent to score. So I, I'm there with you. And I, I think I got my confirmation of it earlier than, than their win against Texas. And I almost feel like Texas still should have won this game. They, uh, yeah. But but I but I I'm I'm all the way there with you. 
Yeah, I mean, they were a uh, missed front end of a one and one from basically salting this thing away, I believe, uh, down the stretch there. But the biggest thing for me is I've been waiting on a breakout from Matthew Meyer, the Baylor transfer. Um, just been waiting to see that. Who can be the compliment to Terrence Shannon? All these uh, Big 12 former guys coming up and playing for Illinois now. Um, and against Texas, they needed it because Terrence Shannon, who's been awesome, did essentially nothing until overtime. And then he poured in 12 in that five minutes. But Matthew Meyer, I mean, was electric. Had Was it 15 or 18 in the first half? Perfect from the field, perfect from three. Um, unfortunately, was saddled with some second-half foul trouble. Um, had to sit for a while, but then came back in and, and made an impact. Um, looking a little bit to switching to Texas, though. Um, on a night when Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr, who to me have been their best players on what's currently the number two team in the nation, will probably fall after that result. Uh, it's Timmy Allen who stepped up in a big way for the Longhorns. Um, and what what does that say to us about their ability to do similar to what you just said about Illinois, to have multiple scorers on the court doing lots of big, important things for this team? Yeah, they fit the mold perfectly. Defensively, they're extremely disruptive, and they got multiple players who can score. Timmy Allen scored 21 last night, and Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr, like you mentioned, weren't off. They combined for 19 points on 7 of 25 shooting. That, that's pretty poor. And then, But, but even still, they had, they had um, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Uh, so they played, they played 9 players, and 7 of the 9 had over seven points and most of them had nine and above. Yep. And then they had two players, which were stars, Dylan Mitchell, who provides value in his defense and his athleticism, and Dylan DeSue, who did not play well at all scoring just one point. But long, the, the point of that is Timmy Allen's emergence to be a, a tertiary scorer. I don't think he should be the primary, nope. which he has been in his career at Utah. And, right. and even last year, I think he led Texas in scoring. But if Marcus Carr and, and Tyrese Hunter are off, the defense can carry a Texas team if they have one person step up. And I think the guy that steps up in that type of instance like he did yesterday would be Timmy Allen. Yeah. And the one the, the issue with Texas, in, in, a, in a, the, I would say that if I didn't see this issue, they'd be my favorite to win it all. And I think they're certainly one of the top five teams in the country regardless of this result. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think they'll contain, uh, continue to be is – when the game is close and, and they're not playing at home, which they've played their best opponents at home, they, they seem to not have this, this rhythm and, and knowledge of who's yeah. going to take the last shot and how they're going to get it. Um, but, you know, it's early and that's only a game-by-game -game basis. But you wonder with a two-guard backcourt where both guys are ball-dominant if they're off, how they win games. And so I think that's a valuable insight. And Timmy Allen's got the inside track to be the third guy. And I think on any good national championship team, you need to have three guys that can score because one and two can be off three. It's unlikely all three will be. And I would say Kansas was one of the, the lesser of the, of the mm -hmm. recent champions, but Ochag Baji, Christian Brown, David McCormick. And then, yep. and, you know, you get the other guys like Remy Martin can step up and he scored 19 a game. <laughs> yeah, while yeah. that well. So um, if you're going to win a championship, you're going to need contributions from a guy like Timmy Allen or, or maybe a, a Christian Bishop, someone, someone yes. that, kind of become unheralded on a very loaded Texas roster. And and we talk about everything Timmy Allen did putting the ball in the basket. I mean, he finishes with eight assists and seven rebounds as well. Just a couple away from a triple double you get. I mean, between 
Allen, Tyrese Hunter, and Marcus Carr, you had nine and eight, 17 assists combined between those three guys. You love seeing your dominant scores also being willing sharers of the ball. And what you what we've just said about both of these teams, both Illinois and Texas, having these not only secondary but tertiary high-level scores is what makes me feel confident in seeing them as second-weekend NCAA tournament teams without like having to think about it. Like I feel very confident in not just hey they're they're doing good in the early season. They have sustainability both of these teams. Leaf, I do want to finish on the question of this though before we move away from this game. Is there any concern? And maybe it goes back to what you said about that that two guard misunderstanding of how to end the game as well. Is there any concern with Texas of how they let that double digit lead slip away at the end? Not in the long term, I don't think. I think I think immediately it's a you know it's an a salty taste in your mouth and, and it shouldn't have <laughs> happened. But uh I'm not terribly concerned. I, I think missed free throws are gonna happen. It's better to happen now on a neutral court than than like whether a road or a league game where it's you know, Fog Allen Fieldhouse and you got the Jayhawks on the on the precipice of beating them on the road and then you and you lose it. Um so I, I would say I would say it's it's just disconcerting in the short term. In the long term, you just don't want it to repeat and it may be good to be a learning experience more uh, exactly. so than it's a, then it's a negative in the in the immediate, more so than it's a negative in the immediate. That's spot on, exactly where I would go with it. This is such a great teaching moment for Chris Beard to have his team's attention to say, "Hey, y'all played a magnificent game. You let the you let it slip down the stretch, and we can't have that if we want to get to the heights we want to get to." Well, one of the really neat things about these two games inside Madison Square Garden on Tuesday night is from what I'm seeing at the beginning of this year, we had at least one early All-America candidate on all four teams in the Jimmy V Classic. I want to look at those players and if Leaf agrees with me, as well as we'll unpack the Duke versus Iowa game. We'll do that in just a minute. But first, this game, this game, this episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you got to check out LinkedIn Jobs, which helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's incredibly easy to create a free job post, so why not give it a try? You add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring. And then you can use simple questions like uh, screening questions to make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can decide who you want to hire and have interviewed as well. You want to finish the year strong and the right new hire can help you do just that. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free right now at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Leaf Tulane, let's talk about, as I look at these four teams that we had playing the Jimmy V class, we've already talked about uh, Texas and Illinois, and they were joined in the second game by Duke in Iowa. I think all four of these teams have, an early season All-American candidate on, on their squad. I want to list them for you, and then I want to get if you're with me on it or if you disagree. Let's just name guys off the teams we've already talked about. Terrence Shannon Jr. is having a phenomenal start to the season at Illinois. 
Tyrese Hunter, uh, people in Ames, Iowa are still crying over him being gone from Iowa State. But goodness, what a season he's having at Texas. And then, uh, you know, last year at Iowa, it was Keegan Murray. This year, it's his brother, Chris, both taking massive leaps. And then for Duke, it is not at all who we expected. It's Kyle Filipowski, who right now is my candidate for a Duke all-American. The funny thing is, multiple of these guys didn't have performances uh, of the of the season in the Jimmy B Classic. But you throw away that game and look at what they've done. Great seasons. Are you with me on these guys, or are you out on that? Uh, I'd say that the starts are are worthy of being on the list right now. I, yeah. I think there's there's one or two that have clearer paths to being true candidates than the others. Um, and the one that the one that shines to me is the most likely would be Keegan, uh, excuse me, Chris Murray, <laughs> following in the footsteps of Keegan Murray, because, you know, he, he's going to play in a similar offense catered to his skill set. And he'll be able to play inside and out in a fast paced offense, score for the Hawkeyes, put up good in terms of visual stats. It'll, you know, be 20 and nine or something like that. And then they're going to be an above average team in the Big Ten. And so they, they hit the barometers that you need. You need to be on a, a pretty winning team and you need to have pretty good counting stats. And then uh, in terms of like just watching him play, he does a lot of little things for the Hawkeyes. Um, the issue with the other three, I would say that puts them on different, uh, different levels is that their teams yeah. don't, they're, they're not as in as, a, as defined of a role. Like I, if I were to scout Illinois, Personally, I think the most dangerous player on Illinois is is Coleman Hawkins. Yeah. Um. So so like that's why if I were to think about it, if, if ranking that team out, it's hard for me to put him as a true candidate. Even though he has scored very well, he's he's really accepted his role. He's thrived more so than I anticipated, and that's all a tribute to him. And he's worked really hard this offseason. And I'd say the same with Filipowski. Right now, he's their best player. Yeah. But I think it's hard for that to to win on a team like Duke unless you're having a season like Zion did. Like where you were, he he had R.J. Barrett, who was probably the next best player in the ACC, and that was in a time where Virginia won the championship and Carolina was also a one seed. And he stood out that much. Whereas on this Duke team, there's just a lot of good players, and it's kind of my turn, your turn, and he's been the best, but I don't quite have him there. And then that's the same thing for Tyrese Hunter. Him yeah. and Marcus Carr are really awesome, and Tyrese Hunter is one of my favorite players in the country. But it's just going to be too hard for him to have the counting stats, even if their team wins to be a true, true wooden player of the year or, or All-American candidate. He could he could get into the All-Americans, but I don't think he's quite on the same tier as uh, Chris Murray is. Yeah, I agree with that. And at the end of the day, all of these guys would rather have the team award over the individual award. And and sometimes, you know, the, the best teams, the best player on the best team is going to get those All-American nods. And so maybe one or some of these guys can achieve that. But to your point with Duke, I mean, you got to think, and we'll talk about this in a minute, at some point, Derek Lively and Dreek White had got to start coming along and, and taking over. Filipowski has filled in nicely <laughs> in the interim, but, uh, you know, those guys are coming. I, I want to go back to Chris Murray and ask you, because last season w- with his brother Keegan just vaulted kind of out of nowhere into the lottery for the NBA. You, as somebody who has your eye on this all the time, is Chris Murray starting to enter into some NBA draft conversations at this point, knowing like, hey, his brother had the same rise. We can trust it with him as well. Yeah, I think it, whether it's fair or not, people had a had an eye on him entering the season as someone that could be at the end of the first round because of what Keegan did. 
And now Chris started starts the year very well, and I think people are moving them uh, moving him up the board because of how Keegan reacted to the NBA game. And it's like I don't know if it's a fair measurement, but who are you going to compare him to? Butter's <laughs> exactly. twin brother, who exactly. has a very similar skill set, and and has has taken to the NBA game. So I think to answer your question, there was an eye on him entering the year due to Keegan's outburst, and you and you were able to see him. You were able to see him at towards the end of the year, and this being Chris, the end of the year you could see the skill set catching up and him growing into the game last year. Then this year, the popular start, they the they they played a few good teams. He played extremely well, had 31 and 20 in a game. And I think yeah. that you know, you see those counting stats and you're like, Oh boy, I better go watch this game. <laughs> and and he does he does it all. And similar to what caught my eye with Keegan and Keegan's freshman year, so not last year, but his freshman year. Right. Along Luca Garza, I was like, man, this guy's super active. He still does those type of things that I think is more suited to the NBA role that would fit him. And I think that's a really advantageous sign. So, so yes, he's certainly on the radars of draft people like myself. And uh, I, I think he's kind of cap. He's older, so I think his cap is about the top twentieth pick or something. Yeah, but uh, but he, I think he will go in the first round if it were to be drafted today. Interesting. We'll definitely keep our eyes on Chris Murray and the Iowa Hawkeyes as they go throughout this season. Now, we have already talked about um, Illinois coming back to knock off Texas in overtime. We haven't touched on Duke beating Chris Murray's Iowa Hawkeyes. This game was a little less competitive. I mean, it was within single digits most of the way there. But rather than spending too much time talking about the game itself, I want to focus on these two guys that everyone expects has expected to be the dudes and that's Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead. They've been both coming back from injury. So fairly or unfairly, people have been kind of dumping on them for not just jumping right in and having big performances. I'm starting to see some signs of growth and, and health from both of these guys, but just at this point, just one double digit scoring game between them. Lively himself had just two points against Iowa and only played 13 minutes. So my question is a bigger Duke question. What happens for these Blue Devils if and when Lively and or Whitehead get going? They become a problem, in my opinion. <laughs> I, I, I think right now they're they're kind of a borderline top ten team, yeah. With as constructed, with everyone playing as they are, and they have the talent to beat just about anyone. Not quite everyone, but just about. And then once it, once Derek Whitehead comes back to being. Both an offensive weapon and a defensive weapon. Derek yeah. Lively becomes the best rim protector in the ACC, which I'm yeah. pretty sure he will. I think I think Duke is one of the better teams in the country. And if I were to outline a list of who I think can contend, if that happens in the way the way that I think it will, Duke's certainly in my top five to seven teams most likely to win a championship should that occur. Um, even even still, going back to their current source of play. <laughs> Duke Duke holds a good Iowa offense to 62 points right. or probably would have been under 60 had they truly defended the last few minutes. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, Iowa did go three of 16 from three, which is a rough shooting night by their standard. But that said, the de- defense deserves credit. They'll get better defensively with those two players. Then if I switch the offense, um, well, one last note about their defense. I kind of yeah. characterize it this way. Iowa averages 23 three-point attempts per game. That was six, uh, seven fewer right there. That's that's something that I that I value because that means they're mm. making them play out of rhythm yeah. and being disruptive. Yeah. And then as for their offense, Duke has really no issue scoring right now. It's just about defense and who who scores the ball when. And so, like in their losses, they've had Purdue outscored them, but it was fairly close for a while. Purdue then 
showed their class and kind of passed the ball against a team that a Duke team that was kind of stagnant and had turnover issues. But Duke has no problem scoring. They scored 74 with a weaker Philip uh, Filipowski performance. That doesn't mean he wasn't good, but he wasn't what like the All American candidate that he's been so far this season. So Jeremy Rose scores 22. Mitchell has a big night with 18. Proctor is one of my favorite guards in the country just because he's got this like savvy passing the ball. And I think they're better with him having the ball at the point and Roach being the scoring kind of undersized two guard. And then, and then he only had eight points and three assists, but the offense ran better in my opinion. And then like, what, what would that lead you to believe should they get their best player coming into the season and arguably their second best player coming into the season? To me, that means they're a top seven team. I, I don't like Duke. I'm sure you don't like Duke, but uh, there's a, it's hard for me to deny that this team is a sleeping giant and they're one of the best teams to contend should they get healthy yes. and those players be right. Yes, absolutely. And so, and, and that's the big if, because we, we know that the talent is there, but are these two guys going to be able to put it together this season? Do they, do they care enough? Right. Do they have like, like I will never forget the image of De'Aaron Fox and Bam Adebayo crying in the tunnel after uh, Carolina knocked them off. And like, do they have that kind of drive and passion to care about an NCAA championship? I think that's the kind of thing we're going to have to keep our eyes on to see if Duke can reach that ceiling in John Shire's first season. Now, uh, Leaf, as we know, Texas was not the only undefeated team to fall back on Tuesday night. Maryland Terrapins also took their first loss of the season. Are the Terps for real? Or did they just have a hot start to the season? We will talk about that in just a second. But first, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online, which is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football, football to basketball, esports and soccer, they've got it all at betonline.net. It's always the fastest and easiest way to get your sports betting fix. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. Leaf, we had 12 undefeated teams left in NCAA Division I entering Tuesday night. We already talked about how Texas lost, and then Maryland goes to Wisconsin and loses 64-59. to And let's just be honest about this. Nobody waltzes into the Kohl Center and lives to tell of it, right? Uh, that's just a truism in Madison, Wisconsin. It's been a great start for Kellen, Kevin Willard. At, at Maryland, they, the Terps are 18th at Ken Palm. They just knocked off Illinois, but they have two major tests upcoming against Tennessee on Sunday and then UCLA next Wednesday. How in are we on Maryland? Where, where would we rank them right now if we were looking at the Big Ten in its totality? Yeah, Maryland's an interesting study because they didn't yeah. play the strongest non-conference, but that said, when they did, they were able to beat Miami and St. Louis and and fairly convincingly. Yeah. And then everyone started hopping on the bandwagon when they beat Illinois. That's right. Um, they were ranked in the you know the tail end of the of the top twenty-five and beat Illinois at home, and it and they won the game. You could argue Illinois lost the game as well. <laughs> That's right. Um, but to answer your question about the Big Ten, if I were to rank the Big Ten right now, I would go Illinois one, Purdue two, Indiana three. Yeah. I'm I'm making sure I, and I'd say Maryland or Michigan four and five. Hmm. And I'm Michigan State's issue is that they became they lost their best player in Malik Hall That's after right. starting off hot. So That's right. 
this is based off current current available players. Yeah, we're in a holding pattern with Michigan State for sure. Yeah. So I think I think that's my top five right there. There's always someone in the Big Ten that surprises. Wisconsin obviously competes every single game. They're tough to beat. Um, They'd probably be six, then Michigan State seven. And I'm doing this off the top of my dome, so I might have forgotten someone. So apologies to a fan of a certain team, but that's (laughs) that's the way I see it. Yeah, I mean. One of the th- I'm actually going to be talking about this on on tomorrow's show on Friday's show, but one of the things for me coming into the season is I didn't think we had any elite national championship capable Big Ten teams. I'm starting to think I might have been wrong on that one, and, and I don't want to get into it today because again we're going to talk in talk about it tomorrow. But man, the Big Ten is low. I mean, it looks right unless things change. They've got the Player of the Year in their conference right now in Zach Eady, and um, so I, I just I think. I know Maryland took this loss um, at, at Wisconsin. I'm really, really curious to see what happens. Um, of course, the UCLA game is at home. The Tennessee game is on a neutral court. I wish one of those was a, a true away game, but obviously they'll get a ton of that action um, in, in the Big Ten. A big test coming up on New Year's Day is at Michigan. That's another really interesting one for me. So I'm, I'm personally in a holding pattern on Maryland, kind of similar to Michigan State. I want to see, as you said, there there have been some signs in the non-conference, but congrats, you beat Louisville. So has all of America. You know, like, so uh, really going to wait and see there. Now, as for Thursday night, there's just not much happening on tonight's uh, Division One schedule. Literally only 10 games between D1 opponents. Wednesday night, though, in, in, in transparency, we're recording this game, bef- uh, recording this show before this game is completed, is UConn at Florida. This is an incredibly intriguing game to me. If you want to watch it, 9 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN2. Part of the reason for me for the intrigue is I think two of the best big men in the country are going at it in this game in UConn's Adama Sanogo and Florida's Colin Castleton. Should be a lot of fun. What are you looking for in this game, Mr. Leaf? How can Florida, who's searching for identity, handle UConn's defensive pressure yeah. uh, would be the first thing. Um, in, in full transparency, these are two teams that I, I do a tweet before each college basketball season, or, or at least I have the last few, um, and, and list teams that I think are underranked and underappreciated. And these nice. were my two of my top three that I posted <laughs> for the, uh, the that they're underrated teams. So I'm hoping that they, they both proved me right. So far, UConn has proved me right, and, and I think they will continue to do so. Florida, I think Todd Golden's a wonder coach, like a, one of those yeah. kind of wonder kid coaches, and he's just finding his rhythm at yeah. Florida. And there's a lot of transfers there, but I think this should be a competitive game more so than people are giving it credit, considering yes. UConn is so highly ranked both in metrics and in terms of the AP poll. I think Florida is better than people think, and I'm curious. Obviously, the bigs is is the focal point, but I'm curious for who can do something for the others, like. Jordan yeah. Hawkins can shoot the ball. Yeah. Um, but but if he's off, where are you finding your offense? So far, that answer has kind of been the fast break. Joey Calcantara and Tristan Newton. Andre Jackson's the best glue guy in the country right now. He's mm. he's he's someone I love watching because he's so athletic. He might yeah. be the best athlete in the country. He'll get you 10 rebounds just by jumping. Um, he'll, <laughs> he'll basically run their point guard when they need someone to. And he'll get you eight, nine hustle points. They're not going to be pretty points, but, you know, he, he's effective. So, I, I mean, I, I've got UConn winning on the road, and that's a good win. That'll be a quad one win by the way, when it's said and done, I believe. And uh, 
but I but I do think this will be a serious serious game and a test for UConn just as much so as winning PK eighty five was. Absolutely. I don't think that their bracket was particularly difficult. It was an impressive stretch of wins, um, and and it found an identity, especially as Andre Jackson was getting back to full health. That's right. But this team has now got the ramifications of winning is pressure. And I think they've got serious pressure on them to continue this and be the favorites in the Big East right now, along with Creighton. And uh, this is the first true road test for them. And, and I think they'll pass it with with good colors, but I'm not sure it'll be flying colors. <laughs> That's well said. I like that, Leaf. That's a great note. Yeah, this is a, a great test for UConn to kind of get towards the back end of their non-con schedule. I'm with you. I think Todd Golden's going to get it figured out. And I, and I know they've got three losses this season, um, but uh, there's the a big, big test for Florida, man. If they could come win this game, uh, obviously that, that's a big knock against, not a big knock, it, it's a tough game for UConn to go win, right? And so, but it would be massive for Todd Golden to get this one at home. A great opportunity for him and the Gators there. Well, friends, great conversation today with Brother Leaf Tulane. Leaf, thanks as always for joining us. Coming up on tomorrow's show, I'll be joined by CBS uh, Sports college basketball guy kyle boone he'll be with us going to be a great conversation there we're going to have some more big 10 talk amongst other things want to encourage you to check out locked on sports today as your second listen or watch biggest stories of the day plus instant reactions big game recaps and of course the take of the day it's available on the odyssey app youtube and anywhere else you get podcasts please make sure to subscribe to the show smash the like button leave some comments on your thoughts on today's conversation but until tomorrow Peace.